Welcome to The Third Horizon. I'm Paul Pivjevich. You know, if you ask my college mates, as you would say there, uh, uni mates, I don't know if I'm going too far, uh, they would say, David, sustainable guy, a, a regenerative guy, no way, you know? Um, that journey, I would say a lot of it really relies on uh, a couple of key people in my life, one being my wife, another being uh, my mother-in-law. David Leventhal is an entrepreneur and owner of what some might say is a textbook example of a regenerative business, a world-famous solar-powered off-grid holiday resort called Playa Viva on Mexico's Pacific coast. David began his journey towards regeneration first as a conservationist, thanks to his wife and mother-in-law, but then realised that his dream of turning a mile of palm-fringed coastline, including a turtle sanctuary, into a pristine model of conservation wasn't going to work, without also considering local social deprivation, which itself was causing further environmental degradation. Then, he discovered living systems thinking, and it was during a conversation with Bill Reed, one of the founders of regenerative pioneers Regenesis, that a light came on and a new doorway opened up to the business as you'd find it today. When I first spoke to Bill Reed, Bill was talking about how you can make a place better. And, and I hope I can say this for your listeners. I, I said, bullshit. I said, you know, anytime you're building, we as humans are destroying. And Bill, Bill had a great comeback to me that I think was a transformational moment for me. He said, humans have degraded most places we're going into. 99% of the places on the earth, humans have degraded in some form or fashion. And if you understand the history of place and how that place got to be that way, then you can understand your role in regenerating and bringing back the abundance that was once there. And I was like, okay, Bill, that, that's that's some good bullshit. I, I, I buy that. And really, that's when we undertook the role of really working in a regenerative way within this community. And then that's become transformational in how I look at so many of the other things that we do from this whole systems approach, history of place approach, core values approach, about how we do what we do. Before we go too far, assuming that regenerative business applies only to a customer value offer in which the quality of the physical place is the key factor, I'd say I've also come across huge retail companies like Walmart or technology companies like Microsoft who are committing themselves to a regenerative path too. In Microsoft's case, they say they're sourcing the potential for relentless customer-focused innovation from the essence of their people, encouraging people to show up and contribute from who they truly are and can be. It's people's essence that will renew, regenerate, in their case, and keep the business thriving. But as David explains, to connect to the potential of this essence, in his case the essence of place, first you need to shift your relationship to it. When you look at a place as having a much longer and deeper history and a much longer and deeper future, we're really only on that land for the blink of an eye in the history of that place and land. And what's our role as stewards in that moment on that land? And what is our responsibility to not just damage the planet at a slower rate, 
to really reverse that damage. So take us through a bit, David, the, the process. Um, having, having landed with this realization that we're here just for a blink of an eye in time, you then approach the community, you approach the context for your business, this you know, beautiful, pristine you know, stretch of coastline, uh, including an estuary. You began to really broaden how it was that you were going to engage. Just take us through a few steps of what you did. Yeah, you know, there's kind of different ways of, of answering that question. I, I think what I'd like to do is bifurcate it into what I'll call paradigm shift and process. So, okay. um, you know, Bill Reed will talk more about the paradigm shift. I'm more of a business person, so I'll just talk about the process. When when we went into this place, it's not like, you know, an architect can look at a topographical map, send in a bulldozer, flatten it out, and put in a design that an architect can design in the, you know, pristine office that they're in looking at that huge monitor. Each place is unique. And you really need to understand what it is that is special about that, just like there's something special about you, right? Um, and so the process that we went through is this process of history of place. It's in documenting it from multiple stakeholder perspectives. That means looking at the geology and the geological record all the way down to the soil and soil samples that are there and what is there on the land. It's looking at the uh, biomass and the flora and the fauna that are there now, but what used to be there. Um, it is looking at uh, the flows of water and you know sun and sun standstills. It's um, the community that surrounds us and the skill level. It's the, you know, we're sitting on an estuary and whatever happens up the watershed, we inherit that. It flows through our system. So we're either the toilet bowl of what happens up the watershed or we're part of a clean, healthy ecosystem and everything that happened. So part of what, well, and, and it, we're part of a community that's near us. Once we come in, we're not isolated. We are begin to co-evolve with that community. Um, and so it's interviewing the town elders and understanding their history, uh, their oral history of how they got there. And then you take all of this content and really begin to create a multi-layered map of what's there. We're now in the process of, of developing out an entire treehouse village and the design is even better than what we have now in our opinion. Uh, I can't show it to you, but um, it's really, really exciting. And this all came about by going through that process and trusting the process. It wasn't, it was about not coming in with a preconceived notion of, oh no, we need this number of rooms and this height and the square feet and here's the business model. It was, no, let's look and see and understand what this place is, and it will inform us of what it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of trust. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that's part of that paradigm shift. Um, but the result of that, that treehouse, it's world famous. And had we trusted it, you know, even more early on and had the know-how early on, we would have been world famous earlier on as a result of it. And what's this? And, and, well, I'm just trying, I'm trying to say that from a, a business perspective, that doing things in a regenerative way aren't necessarily a cost, but they're also incredible benefits to it. Um, so I just wanted to ask you this, you know, you've now created what seems to be a, a highly interdependent system that, you know, all these interdependencies between local people staffing the, the hotel, the resort, uh, you know, local farmers producing the food, uh, guests volunteering their time and talents to benefit the local community, um, teaching young kids, you know, who've been deprived of education through COVID, bringing them in and connecting them to nature, you know, taking yeah. care, in other words, what the next generation is going to do. So you're looking at not only the snapshot in time of how do things circulate and how does energy and resources, how do they circulate and regenerate, you're also looking for the future. Did all this happen in a planned way or did it was it also part of what you described just a moment ago, the trust that you had? Yeah, it, it, it's it's part of the process, and um, there were you know values. I mean, we created a set of core values you can see online, which is about water, energy, and waste streams, and the transparency and and uh, managing those correctly. But then you move into creating transformational experiences, creating meaningful community, promoting biodiversity, and creating a living legacy. And so that framework really guides a lot of the work that we were doing. Um, and so we want to hire locally and develop locally. We're super lucky. Uh, I mean, in another woo-woo moment, we, we're now bookended by pandemic. So we opened during H1N1 in 2008. Uh, tourism was down 50% in Mexico. And there's a hotel called Club Med in Ixtapa and there was a woman there who was head of FMB for you know this huge operation. She had worked for Club Med for over 30 years and they let her go. She walked in our door because she heard in her little community of Huluchuca of 500 people that a little boutique hotel was opening up. That's Julia Garcia. And she's been with us now for over 12 years as our, as our GM, general manager of the hotel, and has grown with us. Um, and so you know, we've been lucky to be able to hire locally, um, but as a hotel to grow and cater to international folks, we need people who speak English. So we need to educate this next generation to make sure that they can speak English. Uh, part, part of the, the interviews that we did with town elders was they were telling us that the town was dying, that everybody was moving to stop out of work in the hotels or Mexico City if they were professionals or to El Norte, which is the U.S. for ag jobs or better opportunities in construction or whatever. And the town was dying. And now that the town is is actually thriving and people are coming back to town because there are good opportunities there. And, you know, that has a global impact. If you look at, you know, what drove past administration was creating, you know, xenophobia about um, immigrants. Well, those immigrants really don't want to go and leave their home. 
Most people want to stay where they were born and, and grow up and have a better life. But they only do that if they can have a better life. And so if through what we do, they can have a good economic opportunity for themselves and their kids, they can have their kids be well-educated and go to good schools and have great teachers. If they can have a good healthcare system and be in good, have wellness and good health, they will stay there. Um, and if we could do that everywhere in the world, there'd be a lot less problems. That doesn't say there aren't problems where we are. There's always problems wherever you go. But, um, you know, that integration into the community, yeah, it was purposeful. Um, and we are we are part of that place. We are that place now. Uh, and so... Um, That's what it really feels like looking at the website. It's not as though you're extracting labor or extracting resources from the land. It feels so far away from that. It feels... It's very much about human beings creating a thriving business together, but through the caring for those relationships and for those livelihoods and for the long-term thriving of the area. You know, it's interesting that you use the word extractive because, yes, it you know, part of that paradigm shift is moving from an extractive mentality into creating abundance locally um, that then creates more abundance beyond that. And, and that is another thing that we heard from the elders is that there used to be so much abundance there that you, you know, put a fishing rod in, there'd be huge fish that, you know, there were shrimp and, you know, fruit falling from the trees all over and biodiversity, you know, all kinds of animals everywhere. Um, well, you know, that, that changed and we're trying to bring that back. And you can see it like, you know, our neighbor is a slash and burn rancher. And you look at the Google Earth images of Playa Diva, and it's like this green, I don't want to say Garden of Eden, but this green zone surrounded by just degraded area around it. Um, and so the biomass that we're creating is amazing. Um, the and, and you feel it when you come in there. Hmm. I mean, that that you may not feel it immediately, but that's the sense that happens over time as a guest, is the immersion in a more abundant system and the transformative power that has. I was just kind of move on to the guests because, you know, the one stakeholder we haven't really talked about too much and yet absolutely central, right? So, yeah. um, you know, the white paper you shared with me a little earlier, which um, I'm happy also to share with people, you know, talks about this paradigm shift, as you call it, from holiday makers who come and extract value, you know, extract a kind of a beach holiday, that experience, you know, yeah. and they go away kind of hopefully replenished and feeling a greater sense of well-being than when they arrived. But you're extending that idea. You bring, you're reminding me of two, two things. Uh, one is, you know, why do we travel? I mean, COVID's allowed us to rethink that, but, you know, we used to travel to go to faraway lands to see different cultures and understand how other people live, but understand the similarity between the human condition. And sure, you know, there's trade. Uh, let me buy trinkets and give you some of my trinkets in exchange for that. But, but travel was people to people, cultural exchanges and understanding. And we lost that. Travel somehow became, um, you know, you deserve a beach chair 
if you throw your towel on it early enough in the morning and you deserve a luau that's, you know, authentic. Uh, and you want the luau, but it's so much nicer if you go into that community where that event is happening, because that is part of the local culture. Then import that in in a, in, in an extractive way into that, you know, big, big resort. And so I, I, I think, and hopefully the nature of travel is going back to that origin. The people are just tired of and don't want these really inauthentic experiences. One of our, our most popular excursion is this ride up the watershed on four by four to this family farm, but it's it's really this area that they've preserved and that they haven't been splashing and burning. And, and it's amazing that when you cross the border into their property, like the, the temperature drops because they've retained some of the forest up there, most of the forest up there. And he wants to show you around to the four different types of bananas he grows and the two types of, of cane sugar and the, you know, the cacao that he's making and shares with you the coffee that they grow. And, and it, it is, you know, the, and, and it's storytelling. He, he sits down and, you know, wants to know your story. Who are you? And how did you get here? And then he shares his story. And, and that to me is what travel is about. I guess none of this comes for free, David, that, you know, I'm, I'm sure you will have, as an entrepreneur, you've got your own funds available to you. But I guess you will have also been asking for outside investment. Um, have you asked for outside investment? And, and, and if so, how have investors trusted you on this journey of unfolding? As you say, there wasn't a kind of master plan which planned every single step. So two thoughts about investing. First, answering your question. And second, getting to a larger issue related to impact investing. Um, so yes, we took investment early on, uh, friends and family round. Uh, we're currently raising money to expand and build the tree houses. Um, <clears throat> it's easy, er, it's been easy to raise money from people that have been to the hotel. There's, I'm in, you know, just how small of a check can you take? Because they may not be the biggest investor. Um, so I think when people see the business and understand the business, it is so much easier for them to invest in it. Um, you know, the worst types of the, you know, oh, well, we're a Mexican fund and we loan money out at, you know, 11 to 13% and we're an impact fund. And you're like, okay, great. You know, we're loaning money out at 7.5% because we think that's a good market return, actually a very fair market return. And that's in dollars. And and they're like, well, you know, we only do pesos. And we're like, okay, if you look at the peso to the dollar over the last, you know, seven years, which is the length of this investment, it actually went up by like 88%. So we're outdoing your 11 to 13% by, you know, seven times. Yeah. And, and that doesn't include the seven and a half percent of our interest. Anyway, you know, it's, I don't even want to get into those kinds of discussions. I think the other thing I want to deal with is just at the macro level, the concept of impact investing, right? Because a lot of people will say, look, just give me the best return possible. And, you know, as an investor myself, I remember having a conversation with a, a, a finance uh, 
a financial advisor type that manages a lot of wealth for a lot of wealthy people. And he asked me, so who manages your wealth? And I, well, I, you know, I'd like to do things in an impact way and, and do and, and have it managed with people that look after the ESG. And he's like, don't do that. Look, invest with me and I'll make the most money possible for you. And then you can just take however much money you want from that and just give away your charity and do your good thing. I said, okay. You know, you're a market guy, right? And you invest in things because of market efficiencies. Said what you're telling me is rate, pillage, and plunder to make the most money. So I can then take that and offset the damage from rate, pillage, and plunder. That is not an efficient marketplace. That is a very inefficient marketplace. And I think we're seeing that now in investments in ESG and everything else, that they're having higher returns on risk when you look at those investments. Um, and if you look at what we do, all the things that you mentioned are really about risk mitigation. Okay. If we have cleaner water, if we have a better relationship with the community, if we have a be, you know, more educated staff and a healthier, all those things are all about risk and risk mitigation. If we have a, a more robust ecosystem within us, you know, all those things, it's all about creating resiliency. And if there's anything that we learned through COVID, it's create resiliency. It's created enormous loyalty with its customer base because of that. It's created an amazing loyalty with all of our stakeholders. David, thank you very much. Thank you.